Um, this is quite distressing, I'm not going to lie. Um, I've got, a, you know, an open mic joke that I use whenever the first time I use a hands-free mic, so I'll use that now. So um, my main story of a hands-free mic, you guys, this is really disconcerting having people here. Okay, so <laughs> sorry if I don't speak to you too much today. Um, random story, I don't know why, um, just warm up. Um, I have a really weird memory of uh, watching Top of the Pops, like years and years ago, with my, my family, I don't know why. Uh, and to, in case you don't know what Top of the Pops is, it's what was on TV uh, before Spotify and YouTube killed the music industry. Um, and it was uh, Louise, I think she'd left Eternal by this point, great fact, um, followed her career very closely. and. Uh, <laughs> And she had one of these mics, and well, I don't know, who knows, she was performing in some kind. And um, my dad just goes, that mic's not on. And all right, any particular reason? And it's like, well, she's doing a really energetic dance routine, and you can't hear her breathing heavily. <laughs> so uh, we're like, good spot, Dad. I'm glad we're watching this program together. Um, so yes, as uh, I, think so, I, I confess, I'm a bit of a low ebb this morning. Um, I've had a quite a long few months and I'm exhausted. So please, on a quite serious, do you pray for me uh, for the next 25 minutes or so um, and that the mic doesn't cut out um, that the Lord does use me and what I've prepared. But also, to make it worse, someone spoke to me this morning who I won't name, who said, um, are you doing obedience again? And I was like, yeah, we're finishing off with my little mini series on obedience. And she said, uh, are you doing the same as last time, where you said that we've been saved from obedience because of Jesus? And I was like, that is the opposite message that I was trying to do last week. Okay? It's like literally the opposite. I almost said word for word, not those words. Um, so I'm feeling not very confident right now. So again, let's try and do it better this time. Okay, so... Um, last thing to say is, uh, this picture is what Adam made for me. It's when I first started preparing this. This is my third one. I've done one for every month. Um, I was writing a lot of Jesus uh, and obedience, and it just started sounding like a fragrance. So Adam did this for me. And then if we can go to the next picture, this is what Adam also did. Um, so that's... If we pull that back quickly. So we enjoyed that last time. But I've, I've got to say, something happened. I think, I think I, this is going to sound really, obviously this is a joke, okay, and I'm not a heretic, but I think I prophesied this over SP, and we've actually got some evidence of SP starting his ministry, this is a total joke, as a second coming, I'm not really saying this, um, and can we play the SP video? Some of you know what this video is. Just saying, just saying. John the Baptist right here. Um, okay, so let's get into it. So um, most, well, anyone who's heard one of my other two messages on this will have heard this story, so you're going to hear it a slight third time. But just to recap why I decided, Stephen Viv said, here's some dates, and you can preach on what you feel uh, God's kind of calling you to or speaking to you about, and I chose obedience. Um, and uh, the reason why is because 
in the summer of the bank holiday, a bunch of us went to David's tent. That, every time I say that, the holler gets a little bit less. Um, and it was fantastic. And for those who don't know, it's 72 hours of constant worship and time spent in the presence of God. And come the end of it, we're leaving on a Sunday, and the, uh, the kind of trustees or elders, I'm not sure what they called them, were speaking and they, about their desires for people going forward. Um, and you kind of thought they were going to say uh, things like, oh, just keep, make sure you stay in the presence of God, make sure you stay worshipping. And not that they didn't mean those things, but what one of them definitely said was, I really would love us all to go and uh, make obedience cool again, the words that she used. And it really struck me, and for me that was... The important next step for me personally from that weekend is like, this has been amazing, and God spoke to me about all sorts of things, but what happens next? What am I going to go and do differently in my life? Um, and I kind of picked up on that, and I mentioned Stephen Veer that I'd like to explore what obedience means um, for Christians now, um, and so that's what I've been doing. So really quickly, um, I've done two other sessions. The first one was on what I call the heart of obedience, so I tried to kind of unpack um, what are the component parts that make our hearts obedient? How can we cultivate an obedient heart? So we talked about six things. There we go, thank you. So we talked about having gratitude for what the Lord has done for us. Uh, we talked about being humble, placing yourself below others. Um, we talked about being a witness, our obedience is a witness to other people, and having that motivation. We talked about sanctification, that the Lord didn't save us just to be exactly as we were, but to actually us live differently and become more Christ-like. Talked about identity, uh, picking up from our, our eight years in Ephesians, um, and how as children of God, this is who we're called to be. And lastly, I founded it very, very heavily on relationship, and I'm going to come back to a few of those principles today, but actually that it's very, there's no point in trying to be more obedient, trying to do more what God wants us to do outside of our relationship with him. So that's what I did in the first week, which was a heart of obedience. But then after that, I was only planning on doing one, and then in my prep, so much came up that I knew I needed to do a second one. And there was something about actually the fundamental, uh, almost like the, what is the place of obedience in the Christian? Um, and what I talked about, therefore, my second series was on the life of obedience. And this was one of my kind of takeaway conclusions, which I said, obedience for the Christian is not the adherence to a set of external rules, but the outward expression of who we have become in Christ. And I looked at three, three ways of, of posing kind of obedience and acceptability in God's eyes. The first one, uh, which, is, which is the kind of Old Testament contract with God, which is now completely obsolete and not true, is that we are saved by obedience. When we are obedient to God, it makes us earn our salvation in God's eyes and our love in God's eyes, which is completely gone now. And then I sort of said we're in this weird middle ground now where we're kind of like, is it that we're now saved from obedience? Because of Jesus' death on the cross, actually, we don't need to worry about being obedient. We can basically just live as we want uh, because God has paid the price and we're just going to chuff off into heaven later on. Um, and I was like, no, that's not right. But I sensed that, even for me, probably that's kind of where I sat because I didn't understand the relationship. I knew it wasn't saved by obedience, but I didn't really know where I've put obedience. Now, is it optional? Is it not? So anyway, so I proposed the third option which is actually we are saved for obedience. And we unpacked Colossians 3 and we unpacked James 1, I think, or 2, 1. Um, and I unpacked how actually when we become Christians, 
the scripture talks a lot about how we die to who we previously are. We become a new person, a new creation. Uh, we put to death our old selves. And actually who we become is what drives our obedience. We are now followers of Christ. We're now children of God and we live accordingly. And that's what obedience now is. So that's what we covered. Um, the first one of those is on the podcast. The second one, the recording didn't work, but when I get some time, I will do a summary version if anyone wants to listen to it. But then I knew there was a third point and the third part, which was a bit more of like the, the practical, what does this look like in our lives? So that's where we're going this morning. Um, and I've got called it the sign of obedience. So... Um, and it was really interesting because actually I was just like, it took me a while to work out how do I summarize this? How do I do this in a, you know, a short-ish message? Um, how do I summarize what obedience looks like in our life? Um, there's so many things across all the scriptures about what this should look like for us collectively, but also individually, obedience looks differently. And I was like, oh, if, only, if only I could summarize it somehow. And then obviously I realized Jesus already did it for me um, and summarized it very nicely in a number of ways. Um, one of which uh, we're going to look at today, um, which is love the Lord your God with your strength of mind and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So that's what we're going to look at. And then very last, I would say, uh, Dami asked me earlier um, when he came in, he said to me, he said, for how deep are you going today? And I said, like, I don't know about this deep. And he said, no, 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 go for the jugular. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm taking that as a Holy Spirit and I'm going to go for the jugular. So head, heads up. Um, okay, so, like I said, I was looking for a passage to, to, to preach from, and, uh, and actually, well, the passage is a good Samaritan, but the important thing is a bit around it. So um, what we're going to do uh, is a, a good old-fashioned exegesis, which basically all that means is I'm going to be your tour guide, okay? We're going to walk through the scriptures together, and I'm going to say, on your, this is really, really good for this now, on your left, you'll notice this. On your right, you'll notice this. So that's what we're going to do. Um, but rather than read it, um, I thought I'd find a nice video to talk us through the story. So if we watch the video, we'll start getting into the passage.
My favorite part is that in, in Legoland, this means talking. Do you notice that? So I'm just going to, every time I talk, do this now. Um, so I'm going to run it through. Like I said, we're going to walk through this bit by bit um, under a number of headings. So I'm going to look at the question, the road, the others, the Samaritan, and the response. So we start with the question. So um, as the passage said, Jesus, the, the story wasn't, Jesus just didn't uh, decide to, to give this story, but actually it was prompted by his question, and the question by a lawyer. Uh, what that means is someone who ultimately was a specialist in the law, specialist in the scriptures in the Old Testament, um, and it means that he knew the answer. He wasn't asking this really saying like, I don't know the answer to this, can you please tell me Jesus? But what he was asking was, what's your interpretation of this? Like I said, he probably knew the scripture probably off by heart, um, and therefore he was kind of testing Jesus, as it actually says explicitly. He was testing Jesus, saying, what do you think uh, the answer to this is? Um, and ultimately the question is this, he was asking, is what does obedience to God look like? Or he said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, but what that really means is what does obedience to God to look like? Uh, and Jesus, being Jesus, answers with a question and says, what do you think it means? And like I said, uh, this guy kind of knew his answer, and he said, I know what it means. Uh, the, law, the law says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, that's correct. Um, and you kind of sense that wasn't really what the guy was expecting, because the passage then says the guy kind of gets a bit unsettled and feels like he needs to justify himself. So he asks a second follow-up question. He says, who is my neighbor? And what is interesting, I didn't realize until I was kind of preparing for this, that actually, again, he was kind of testing Jesus. Um, Jesus, when he brought those two commandments together, um, wasn't kind of inventing anything new, but actually was summarizing two scriptures in the Old Testament. Um, and one of the things he was, uh, the, guy, the, the guy asked him the second question was probably referring to is Leviticus 19.18. Anyone, anyone know that? No. Um, but what it says, I didn't either, just to be clear. Um, it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And what's interesting about this is probably that um, the guy was starting to be like, well, that's actually quite a, the first commandment, the first two commandments are actually quite big things to try and do. So he was trying to get uh, Jesus to say something like maybe quote this again. And if you actually read those words from Leviticus, it says, um, not explicitly, but implicitly implies, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against among your people. It's kind of very clear about your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. So what this guy was probably really thinking is actually my neighbor is only someone, one of my people. I don't have to, uh, I don't have to do that. I don't, want to be, I don't want you to put me on this hook that I actually have to treat everyone like my neighbor. And that's what intros this story. So this is how Jesus is saying, well, actually, let's, let me tell you what it means to obey the second commandment in particular. So that's the question that's being asked. So what's uh, the answer? Uh, so the road. Um, Jesus replied, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him of, and beat him and departed and leaving him for dead. So this is quite interesting because uh, this to us seems like quite a dramatic story. But actually, it's not very dramatic. The road from Jericho to Jerusalem, 
and vice versa was notorious for being somewhere where people would be robbed and attacked. Apparently it was very rocky, there was a lot of places to hide, a lot of people passed by there, so it was kind of a rampant place for crime. So what Jesus was really saying was, imagine a guy was walking home at night on their own. That was the opening statement. So when he says they were beaten and left for dead, that was kind of like, well, saw that coming. That's kind of how we're going here. So even though when we read this, it's quite a dramatic, like, oh, gosh, I can't believe that happened. Jesus is setting up a scenario which is actually quite familiar. Um, and they wouldn't have been necessarily too surprised that someone was robbed and attacked. So that's kind of the road we're talking about. And then, obviously, before we get into the Samaritan, let's look at the others. So Jesus talks about a priest and a Levite. So what's going on here with the priest and, and the Levite? So the priest and the Levite uh, are basically the number one and the number two people in the kind of Jewish religion. They're the ones who kind of ran the temple. The priest was the most important person who was the mediator between God and the people at the time as in the Old Covenant. And the Levites were the people that worked in the temple. They were kind of the, the helpers. They're sometimes the worship leaders. So basically what Jesus is saying, and apparently this was quite a, a common way to set up a teaching, he was saying, along the road came the two most important people in Jewish religion. Um, and you kind of, it's really interesting to try and get into their mindset. So obviously we know the story and we kind of condemn them and think they're awful for, for walking past. But there's a few ways this is kind of interpreted. Um, and really quickly, I'll go through a couple of them. So one, some people say the priest actually wasn't allowed to touch dead bodies. So it's entirely possible he was thinking, well, actually, that person is dead. And if I touch that person, I can't do my priestly duties anymore for a period of a week while I kind of cleanse myself. That was, the, that was a Jewish law. So it's possible he was thinking that way. Again, the Levite, he's like, well, actually, I'm quite a, I might have a job to do. You know, They're going on a journey. That doesn't say they're just taking a Sunday afternoon stroll. Um, so they're probably going somewhere. So in reality, there's probably a lot of things going in these people's minds which is why they saw the person. Um, and I've kind of highlighted the word saw on both of those, because I'm going to come back to that. Because they both saw the person. It's not that they didn't see the person there, but they chose not to stop. I mean, what's really interesting is um, I read that in 1973, uh, Princeton Theological Ceremony, um, Seminary, sorry, uh, did a nice, happy psychological experiment, highly unethical. You could not do this these days. Um, well, what they did was uh, they had a group of their students, again, theological students, and they, um, they told them that they needed to go from one place to another uh, quite quickly and do a sermon on the, uh, the Good Samaritan. Um, and and uh, obviously what they did, being very kind, generous people, they put a stooge in the pathway, someone who was going to lie on the floor, sick, in need of help. And what they did with the theological students, they did two things. One group of them, everyone knows where this is going, um, they did one group of them, they told them, like, you need to get there really, really quick, okay? You, this, this, this sermon you're going to give is really, really soon, okay? And it's on the, on the Good Samaritan, so it's really important. Um, and one group, they kind of said, uh, you need to go there, but they didn't in any way suggest it was really, really quick. Um, and as you might imagine, what happened was the, uh, the ones who are told it's really fast only one in ten actually stopped to help this person on the way to give a message about the Good Samaritan and how important it was and what it meant. And I think the other group, it was about 63%, which is good, but, you know, that's not 100%. Uh, and that's, you know, that's pretty damning, right? That's pretty bad. Um, 
but I mean, I'll be totally honest with you now. Like I, well, basically, I did exactly the same thing in in the last week. Uh, I had a day off on Thursday, and I was when I was preparing this, um, and uh, I on the way to preparing and coming back home, like I walked past four homeless people, and I saw them all. And every single time, I personally came up with a reason why I couldn't stop to offer to buy them something. Sometimes I was like, oh, do you know what? I, there's nothing around. I can't, if I said to them, can I buy you something? I was kind of in central London, so it's not like where you've got um, a shop every kind of four shops. Um, and I was like, I don't know. And other times I was like, oh, do you know what? I'm really tired. And this is the best part. A few times I was like, you know what? I really need to prepare this sermon. And so I'm sort of thinking about this priest and this Levite and kind of being a bit sympathetic and being a bit like, I can imagine they're not just horrible, nasty people, but they were probably thinking, do you know what, I, I'm not sure if this is the right thing to do because it might make me unclean. Or do you know what, I'm, I'm going to Jericho for a reason and I need to get there and it might be something to do with their temple duties. And actually, you know, I, that's kind of more important and maybe I can't help this person at all. But obviously what Jesus is saying, actually, that's, you know, that's clearly not, not the behavior. Um, and again, you know, luckily, this has been kind of convicting quite a lot. And actually, we came past this morning, and I don't know who noticed on the, the high street way in, there's a guy there begging. And uh, partly because, you know, it's really bad motivation, but partly because I knew I was giving this message in like half an hour's time. Um, we, we had with us the communion stuff. And genuinely, my first thought was like, I can't give them the communion bread because then we can't do communion. And I'm like, in myself, I'm like, how stupid are you? You've just prepared this whole message about Jesus' call to this, you know, radical, uh, going beyond the letter of the law obedience. And you're there saying, oh, but what if there's not enough bread for us to do communion inside? You know, and you just got a big slap around the face. Obviously, you know, luckily, I got out of the bread and, and gave it to him, and he was really happy, he was really pleased with it. Um, and obviously, you know, take those two into, together. I'm not in any way close to being perfect, but it's, it's, you look at the story again, and you're just like, they're probably not as bad as we think they are. They're probably a lot more like us than, than maybe we are. Okay, so that's the others. Then we come on to the Samaritan. So I said most people kind of know a bit that the, the, our story, the video story, added a bit to the text where it said the kind of despised Samaritans. But just really quick background, why they were despised, so they had theological differences with the Jews, so they interpreted the Old Testament scripture differently. So that was obviously a big no-no. Um, they were kind of evil and wrong. And then because of that, they had this whole cultural barrier between them, it's like we hate them. Uh, in Nehemiah, when he came to build a wall, the Samaritans in Samaria tried to stop them and get in the way. And there was all sorts of history between these two. Um, there is a Jewish saying, um, which if you listen to any sermon, they'll quote this, so I'll quote it as well, which says that he that eats the bread of the Samaritan is one that eats the flesh of a swine. And obviously in Jewish uh, law, you weren't allowed to eat the flesh of the swine. So basically it's like saying if you are in any way engaging with the Samaritans, or even the bread someone offers you, you are basically unclean and wrong. That's how much these guys were were hated, and it was, it was vice versa. So when Jesus brings the Samaritan into the story, it's not just like, oh, you know, that guy you don't really like. It's kind of like an absolute theological, cultural, sworn enemy. That's the person I'm now bringing into the story. So it's kind of, that's what makes people sit up. And then we kind of look from the Samaritan's point of view. And um, 
again, from his point of view, and it's just the flip side of the others. In fact, he kind of knows, again, he sees the person, and he's probably thinking, I'm on my way somewhere. The pastor actually says the Samaritan was journeying, so he clearly was going somewhere. So he's probably thinking, oh, do you know what? I'm going somewhere. This is not ideal for me. Um, and then he's probably thinking, well, I, I probably have got some money in my pocket, but actually, you know, maybe he was going to use that where he was going. But of course, that's not how he responds. So that's kind of the background of the Samaritan. So let's look at the response then of the Samaritan. A few things I just want to point out. And this is obviously a response that Jesus encourages. So the first thing I mentioned earlier, the passage is very clear that they all saw him. They all say the priest came past and saw him. The Levite came past and saw him. And again, it says the, um, the Samaritan came past and saw him. But what Jesus adds here is he saw him and he has compassion. And that is the first key point of, um, of, of the nature of this response and which what drives the Samaritan to do something differently. Even though he had, again, it wasn't just the Jews hated the Samaritan, the Samaritan hated the Jews. Even though he had this cultural barrier, he was able to look past all of that and just see the person and have compassion. And that was the key difference. And I'm totally honest with you, that's probably why I walked past four people on Thursday, because I looked at them and saw them, but I actually didn't have any compassion, because my brain was thinking about the sermon, and that I'm knackered, and blah, 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 all these other things. And they were like, oh, it's not great for me, frankly. And all that kind of wiped out, frankly, my sense of compassion. But this is the first thing about what the Samaritan does. It has a sense of compassion. Um, the other thing he does, um, which I'm, I've never heard anyone talk about this before, but I actually think this is the case, so I'm going I'm to expand it now. I think what he does isn't actually that radical. I mean, it's radical in the sense that he has a compassion because of the cultural theological barriers. But actually, if you walk through this, so um, he puts him on his animal, so presumably he had an animal with him, so that was you know, a very doable thing. Sure, an inconvenience, but very doable. Uh, he had oil and wine with him, he doesn't say he went and found some oil and wine and brought it back. So clearly he just used what he had with him. Um, he takes him to an inn. Again, we might think, oh, he probably went well out of his way to take him to an inn. In reality, he probably put him in his donkey, walked him further down the road. It's quite a long road. There's probably an inn on the road. So took him to that next place and stopped him there. Um, and then lastly, it's, it specifies um, he takes out two denarii when he gets to the inn. Um, it also kind of implies, which I think is probably true, he stayed the night. So again, it's probably this guy was actually staying at the inn as well. And actually, he stayed the night there as well, but he just paid for this other guy to stay there with him. So, and the two denarii thing, so I looked it up, and two denarii is kind of about two days' wages. And I think this is, I actually think it's quite significant because sometimes in Jesus' parables, he uses like really big uh, metaphors like camel through the eye of the needle, which we know is not literal. And obviously, this is, the whole thing is a parable, but actually... He hasn't said, you know, that, and the guy emptied his entire wallet and life savings to look after this guy. What he says, he kind of, he paid up, um, in the first instance, just two days of income. And one of my questions was, how hard, I mean, I didn't think and work out what two days of my income is in life, but like, how, what is my resistance to giving up two days of income? One of the things I do when I'm going to get home, I'm going to have a think about what is two days of income and think to myself, if someone was in need, would I be like, oh, do you know what? Two days of income, that's a bit too much for me. Or would I actually be like, do you know what? That's, that's not a ginormous amount of money. That's not a month's kind of whatever, uh, income, whatever your income is. And I just thought it's quite an interesting little detail that actually we, we look at this 
as some like mind-blowing, unrepeatable act. And it is a mind-blowing act because of the Samaritan barrier. That's the main reason why it's a mind-blowing act. But actually what he does is actually, it's an inconvenience to him, but it's actually very doable. And I kind of thought it was really important to, to kind of come up with. Um, another thing I kind of wanted in my own little mind as I was thinking through his response is, again, I think we assume that doing this act would be like really, really easy and not awkward. And like, this is massively awkward. Like, I go outside, right? I gave him it. He was really happy. Do you know what I said to him? Thank you. <laughs> because it's just like, I was awkward about it. I didn't know, you know, if he would like it or not like it. Or be like, have you got brown bread? Like, I genuinely didn't know. And I was just like, thank you. And kind of went away. How pathetic is that? Like, I'm glad it didn't. It was the right thing to do. But I was, it was so awkward. Also, um, I think one... Uh, Two months ago, I told the story of, of what I call my grace dinner. I won't tell the whole story now. But anyway, someone, someone bought me and my friend a dinner without us knowing about it or asking about it in the restaurant at random. Anyway, so ever since then, because I use it quite a lot as illustration for myself and, and, and speaking on that kind of thing, I've wanted to repeat it on someone else. So about a year ago, finally, like six years after it happened to me, I finally, we were, I was talking with some, we're having dinner, Frank Manka's just around the corner, in fact. And uh, we were talking about it, and I was like, I really want to do it. I really want to try it, okay? And, and so we did, okay? And oh my word, never ever again am I going to do that. It's so awkward. So basically, obviously, first of all, you're like, who do you pick? Like, do you, favoritism? How, do, you, do you pick just a couple, because it's not too expensive? Or do you go for, like, the biggest people? Do you do the whole restaurant? Anyway, so I forget who we did pick now, but we picked someone. And you're like, do you do it close to us so they can overhear what you're saying? Uh, but but we, we, we paid, and we called the person over, and you get really awkward and anxious at this point, because you're like, what if they try and pay when we're paying? And it all goes wrong. But... Um, we called the, the lady over, and English wasn't her first language. She spoke good English, but I think she, didn't com- she couldn't comprehend the words because they didn't make sense to her. And we were like, can we, can we pay for that table over there? And she was like, hmm? And, and we were like, we just want to pay for that pe- people's table? And she was like, oh, do you know them? Like, no. <laughs> and she was like, I don't understand. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm really regretting this right now. But we were like... Okay, uh, it's just an, we just think it's a nice thing to do. They don't know us. It's just an act of generosity. Uh, we just, just want to pay their bill. And she was like, I'll get my manager. <laughs> so the manager comes over and he says, just want to check, guys. Waitress told me you want to pay for their bill. And I'm like, yeah. But you don't know him? <laughs> nah. And that is correct. And we're like, yeah. And he's like, why? And he's like, we just think it's a nice thing to do. And he was like, all right. <laughs> so this has gone on for not a long time, but a few, longer than I'd hoped it was going to be. I was like, pay and get out. Okay, I don't want to have a weird conversation with these people. Um, and uh, yeah, and so we did pay, and then just bolted out the door as soon as humanly possible. And so who knows what happened, but oh my word, it was awkward. And it makes me think about back to my grace dinner and this the lady who paid for us, and like, was she that bad? Like, or was she like, oh, it's fine, I'm the good Samaritan. But my point, <laughs> my point is that I think we look at this story and we think, oh, my gosh, he must have, like, loved doing that. Like, it must have been so smooth. But I'm imagining it's probably the same. He got to the inn and he's like, can I have two rooms? And I'm paying for this half-dead guy on this horse here. <laughs> and he's like, all right. 
why is why is he half dead? And like, oh, it's sounding like this. You're like, mm, yeah, I'm, sure. And uh, and he's like, oh, do you know him? I'm like, nope, just found him on the road. And again, like, I think he was probably like, this is really suspicious. And then you know, and then again, he kind of stays the night. And in the morning, he sort of offers to come back and pay again, which presumably is just he was going back home at some point. So again, that's not that crazy to think about. But I can't imagine that was a particularly easy conversation either. Um, but I think sometimes we read this and think, I can only do it when I feel comfortable about it. I can only do these kind of acts if I'm like, I feel really, you know, it's someone I know or, or something I'm really comfortable doing. But I think this is, was the most awkward thing in the history of the world. Especially the dead thing. I didn't really think of that until just now. You bring a half-dead guy on a horse to an inn, like, you're going to ask some questions. Okay. So... Um, so, the, right, the last thing to answer. So, remember, the question was, which Jesus is answering in this message. Um, he's not just giving a nice story. He's answering a question, what is obedience to God to look like? And I think this, uh, and obviously what he says right at the end is go and do likewise. And I think this is what I'm going to kind of draw and summarize, summarize this together, which is this, the sign of obedience is the daily countercultural love of others. So again, I put that word daily in there when I unpacked that myself. I was like, I actually don't think what he's done here is completely crazy and mind-blowing and you know impossible to do. It's just a, he was walking on the road, there was a guy there, there was an inn further down the road he could take him to. He was coming back whenever, a bit later, and he could you know pay the rest of that money. Uh, he had the horse, he had the oil, he had the wine. Um, so it was daily, but obviously it was countercultural. It was completely weird. The Levite and the priest decided not to do it for whatever reason. We don't really know. Um, because maybe it wasn't a cultural thing to do. And again, that's the significance of this road being a, a notorious place to be attacked. Again, like if you see, uh, I suppose that's something in London, like especially when we see people who are like, oh, do you know what? That's London. That's what happens in London. And it kind of fritters away our compassion for that person as an individual child of God. So it's this kind of countercultural, this daily countercultural love of others. I think that's what Jesus is saying in this, in this passage. That's what he's answering. What does it mean? Um, especially that second part of it, love your neighbor as yourself. The sign of obedience to that is the daily countercultural love of others. Okay. So obviously this has been kind of a, a three-part series. So, like Lord of the Rings, I've got three endings. Sorry about that. Um, but the first thing I wanted to, to end with, the first point, is I feel like, and I've felt this all the way along, I've, I've intended this to be quite a challenging series. It's been incredibly challenging for me personally. It's been brilliant for me personally, but really challenging. And it's really easy, and I've said this uh, in other messages, and I'm going to come back to it at the end. It's really easy to respond to this and with guilt, or with shame, or with like, I'm just, I'm not good enough to be this person God wants me to be. Um, and I'm definitely going to come back to that and just say right now, just throw that right out because that's not the response. But the second response is actually to get motivated by the possibility of us all living like this. And I kind of, as well as being challenging, I wanted to present, imagine the positive vision if we all did all these daily countercultural kind of signs of love. And I kind of thought, just imagine what that world looks like when we're all really good at countercultural love. And then tell you what it looks like. It looks like the kingdom of God. 
And here, you know, the, one of the things I love most about here at BBC is that we, this is how, how Stephen, Stephen Veer's vision was always built, whether it's bags of blessing or healing of the street um, or the uh, job club. Uh, Stephen Viv want us to be involved in these things, in this obedience. Again, not obedience earning our salvation, but obedience that comes from who we are because of our salvation. So whether it's getting involved in bags of blessing, it's taking a bag of blessing today, which you've never taken one before. And again, remember that awkward thing. I don't imagine you're going to take it and skip out and find someone and be like, "This, I'm so excited about giving this to this person I've met before and don't know how they're going to respond. You're not going to be excited. You might be, that'd be great, but you might not be. So it'd be awesome to have all of those bags gone, end of this sermon, end of this message as you leave today. Um, I mean, me and Jen had one at ours in our house for what, four months? Before we actually finally, and even then I was like, Jen, you do it, I'm scared. <laughs> it's totally true, totally true. Um, so maybe it's that, but just imagine that positive vision, whether it's, you know, if you've heard my story of going to healing on the streets, I was flipping scared, but God used me and really blessed someone. It was awesome. Um, so the f- first, you've got a choice. We all have a choice. Do we respond just with that sense of, oh, I, can't, I can't do this, I'm not good enough, um, I'm, I'm ashamed of myself, or whatever it is. Or you say, you know what, I don't need to feel any of that because that's what was done on the cross. I'll do my kick-ass visual at the end. Um, so actually, you know what I'm going to do instead? I'm going to be excited about finding a little way tomorrow, the next day, next week, to do a little act of daily countercultural love. That's what I'm going to be excited by. So that's the first choice. I think you've got those two choices, and obviously I'm going to hint you towards a second choice. Okay, so this is my visual for today. Um, I need a volunteer, Lindsay. Have you come? Here's Lindsay, everyone. Lindsay moved in with me recently and therefore if you live with the guy who's teaching you're going to get roped in so can you grab that cross for me i was going to say pick up the cross and follow me but it just felt wrong okay so this is kind of almost a a summary of all my messages and if you forget everything else then this is a visual i'd love you to take away okay so this is obedience um and there is one root, there's one thing at the center of obedience, and it's this. Obedience will only work when we die to I. He reacted better at home, but it's fine. Uh, I'll just assume you're all amazed by it. But at the very center, of obedience has to be, and that's why I talked a lot about in, my, in the second message, about when we become Christians, we become a new person, we die to our old selves, we die to our selfish way of life. And actually, this is why it's so nice to put it on the cross, because this is exactly what Jesus did when he obeyed the Father. And he died to his own needs and his own self for the obedience for the sake of others, to show love to others. And that's a love which then gives us a forgiveness to make us new life and to have us live uh, out of this obedience. So obedience, as modeled by Jesus, only works when we die to the I. Thank you very much, Lindsay. Okay. So in the very last closing, we're kind of going to merge into communion now. So I just invite the band to start making their way up.
But of course, communion is, what it, is the way, what I said earlier, is how we are no longer saved by obedience. But that model is broken because of what Jesus did on the cross when he died to himself in order to obey the Father. So communion is what's broken that in order, for, in order for us to make us new creations for obedience. And in a minute when I kind of invite you to go to the back and kind of take uh, Jesus' body as the bread and dip it in his blood, which is the juice. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is if there's any kind of, I believe the Holy Spirit is here to convict us, but conviction is not the same thing as guilt or shame or not feeling good enough. If there are areas in your life that you know you're not obedient to, you're not showing that countercultural love and you're struggling to, when you take communion, what I want you to do is feel the joy and the freedom of that all being washed away. And then what I want you to invite you to do, and you might want to think about this before you go out for communion, is maybe use communion as your opportunity to do three things. Number one, to cultivate your heart of obedience. What are you going to do in your life to build the way you think, build the way you feel, to actually have a heart which overflows in obedience? Number two, do you want to re-choose a life of obedience? The Christian life is a life of obedience because of who we are. Not because of what we have to do, but because of who we are now in Christ. And then lastly, do you want to commit yourself or recommit yourself to living out the sign of obedience, which is the daily countercultural acts of love? Let's cultivate your heart of obedience, choose a life of obedience, and start committing yourself to living out the sign of obedience. So when you're ready, I just invite you to go to the back and take communion as a band play. And then after that, of course, if there's anything else you would like, if you want to pray about what we talked about here, or you want to pray about anything in your life, you want someone to pray for healing, for wisdom, for anything, then after you have communion, please feel free to come down the front and there will be people here to stand with you, people to pray with you. There's nothing special about the front. It just means we know you're here and you'd like someone to stand with you, lay hands on you and pray for you. I'm just going to pray quickly and then feel free to go and take communion when you're ready. Father, I just thank you for everything you've done in me in these three messages. Thank you for how you've called me higher to a life of obedience because it's who you've made me to be. And I just pray. Now, Holy Spirit, work in us, challenge us, encourage us, convict us. Help us show us individually what you want us to do in terms of obedience in our life. Show us the areas that you're calling us to those daily acts of countercultural love. Jesus' name.